mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two weeks ago, I was away from home uh, at back-to-back retreats. I had four days down at Mount Angel, thanks, Doug, and two days following that, uh, straight to Canby Grove. And by that last night, I was so ready to be home. I was just longing for my own bed, my own pillow, and maybe most importantly, my own cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, maybe you've had the same kind of experience. Anytime I talk to someone who's been away on vacation and they're just back, and even if they had a great time and you ask them how it went and they tell you how wonderful it was, you can almost count on it at the end of what they say, then they go, but it is so good to be home, right? What's so good about being back home? Tell me, why do you love to come home? The smells? Okay, just the smell of your home. I love that one. Your own bed, definitely. Your cat? Yes, our animals, absolutely. I heard comfort. You just, there's some personal space, all those wonderful identifiers of home. I think we would all agree there is just no place like home. Well, last Sunday, we wrapped up the series that we'd been in on the emotions of God. And I hope that through those weeks, maybe you made some progress, you grew a little bit in being comfortable in your own emotional skin, but also maybe you grew in a little bit more of the comfort of understanding the big emotions of God. Mike did a great job last week of helping us understand that even all the big emotions, the anger and jealousy and hatred actually stem from the core identifying emotion of God, which is love. Well, today we begin a new series and it's gonna take us all the way through summer. When our preaching team gets together and we begin to brainstorm, okay, what's next? What scripture? What topic? Where are we headed with this? We begin to explore why are we leaning there? Why are we choosing this topic? What are our hopes for the church as we walk through this series in the coming weeks? And we can't deny that mixed into all of that, our own hungers and needs as pastors rise to the surface as well. And, and we don't push those down, we listen to those because we are you, right? We're the church together and we swim in the same culture and we, we breathe the same air. Well, we tried not to during COVID, of course, but <laughs> normally we breathe in the same air. And so um, we, you know, in recent history, we've shared a lot of common things, big things together. We've walked through this world pandemic. We have uh, experienced uh, pl heightened political division, church division, increasing the violence. Uh, decreasing church attendance. And here we all are kind of having to deal with the aftermath and figure out, hey, what's next? What do we do with all of this? And as we uh, thought about all of that and we 
decided if our heads and our hearts are swimming with all these things, we're assuming that yours probably are too. And so prayer is where our hearts and our minds were drawn. The comfort of prayer, the mystery of prayer, the hope of prayer. That's where our hearts were consistently drawn in planning out this next series. So we invite you, church, to come along with us and explore prayer this summer, both in the scriptures and in some great resources and also simply in the practice of prayer this summer. I think one of our primal understandings of prayer, especially if we grew up in the church or even if we just, if we didn't and we just know something about prayer because we exist in this world and people talk about it, I think one of our primal understandings is that it's, it's asking God for something, right? That's just kind of where our minds go immediately. We kind of think of bringing God our laundry list, so to speak, of, well, God, here's what I need, here's what I want, here's what I love this person, that's what they need, and that's what they are wanting, and that's what we pray for. And we are absolutely invited to ask, but we're also going to press in this summer, explore and challenge us to look beyond prayer as a transaction to a relationship, to see prayer as coming home to a welcoming God. Richard Foster wrote one of my favorite books on prayer. It's entitled, Prayer Finding the Heart's True Home. And this is how he begins his book. It's a little long, but I wanna share it with you. He said, God is inviting you and me to come home, to come home to where we belong, home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long, we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. Whew, sounds like the last three years. And God welcomes us home, welcomes us to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance. Our 25-year-old son is a traveling nurse. And he has been home the last few weeks in between assignments. He's been down at California, so it's a delight to have him home. And I so enjoy watching him just soak in some needed rest, enjoy watching him enjoy his dog out on the deck in this beautiful weather. We've enjoyed having intense conversations and casual conversations. And I've even enjoyed finding his multiple pair of shoes by the front door. <laughs> I uh, never thought as a parent, and I have, we have two sons, so I, there were usually at least six pairs of shoes by the front door. I never thought I would miss that, but oh, do I miss that. So I have not said one word to him in these few weeks about his shoes being there, because I know soon enough they'll be gone again. What if prayer is not just a laundry list, not just a discipline, but something as wonderful as coming home. Kicking off your shoes, knowing you're home, and being who you are in a space 
with a God who loves you deeply, who has longed for you to walk in the front door and sit with him and be welcomed there. I'm convinced more and more that's prayer. It's coming home. It's being with God rather than just talking with God. So in this series, we're going to talk about things like that. We're going to talk about coming home. We're going to talk about prayer as friendship with God. We'll look at some powerful, wonderful prayers in Scripture. We'll explore different types of practices, such as breath prayers, intercession, confession, and lament. We'll weave in some questions that we all have. What what does it matter to pray? Why do we even pray? Does it change anything? Does God's heart change in the midst or just mine or both or what? Ron read the first two verses of Psalm 90. From generation to generation, Moses said to God, you have been our home. And Psalm 90 is a prayer. I want you to consider with me for a few moments Moses' life. He lost his physical home over and over again. He was, as you know, if you're familiar with the story, his, his birth mom, when he was just an infant, Jochebed, took that baby boy and put him in the Nile River in order to save his life. For Pharaoh had commanded that all Hebrew boys be killed at birth. And scripture says she and her husband, seeing that Moses was special, I always smile when I read that because I think every parent looks at their baby and sees that they are special, of course. And they didn't want their son to lose his life, so they put him in a basket and set him out in the river. And from there, Moses was pulled out of the river, which that's what his name means. Moses means drawn from the water. And by no less than Pharaoh's daughter. So his next physical home is in the household of a man who had wiped out a generation or at least tried to wipe out a generation of his kinsmen. And Moses uh, eventually would flee that home when he killed an Egyptian while trying to protect a Hebrew slave and he is homeless. He is wandering the desert until he finds a home there He stays there for several years until God shows up again in a burning bush and says, Hey, Moses, you remember how you tried to deliver the Hebrew people in your own strength? Didn't work so well. We're going to go back and we're going to do that again. And so Moses follows, he goes, and after an arduous but successful mission, Moses and a million of his closest friends make their home again in the desert. Moses was uniquely qualified to pray, oh God, you have been our home for generation after generation. Not everybody gets a normal home life. Not everybody has a safe mom and a safe dad. Some of you, my guess is, in a crowd this size, didn't grow up in a home that you where you were nurtured and cared for. And just know that Moses didn't either. He, um, he could relate. You're in good company. So whether this morning you are finding that home is a good memory for you or it is one that you've just always longed for a good home, God is, as Moses says, home for every one of us.
and he is welcoming all of us. Genesis 127 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, birthed them, if you would, male and female. Prayer is coming home to the one who made us. It is the very language of family, mother and father, birthing, creating. It is coming home to the one who made us. One of our values here at New Hope is hospitality. Because we know that we know that we know that around a shared table, good things happen. There are bonds that are created, vulnerabilities that are shared, connections develop when we share a meal around the table. I don't know if you remember in May this year, we had really warm, unseasonably warm weather, like several days of in the high 80s and 90s. And I woke up on one of those first May mornings. I thought, oh my goodness, deck weather. I can't let, you know, because who knows, and it could have been pouring rain the next day. I said, let's don't waste this. Let's invite some people. Like quickly, it was a Saturday. I text like 14 people thinking maybe we'd get like six, you know, come have dinner with us on the deck. And 12 people text back and said, we're in. <laughs> Woo! Honey, guess how many people are coming to dinner? <laughs> That's okay. He's always up for it. And I just have to tell you that uh, we just seemed hungry to soak up not only the weather, but just some relaxed time together around a meal. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So not only is God our home, oh God, you have been our home from generation to generation, but we are invited to become home for God as well. It's a circular, relational relationship that we have that we're invited into prayer is opening that door prayer is saying jesus come on in and sharing with jesus just like we would family and friends sharing nourishment and intimacy laughing together lord knows crying together uh sharing emotions sometimes we get grumpy and we're angry in the in a home we can do that all in the safe care of God, we can uh, also sometimes just sit in companionable silence. This morning in my devotional in uh, Lectio 365, there was uh, the story told of three monks in the Egyptian desert who would travel every few months to see one of the desert fathers known for wisdom. And two of the monks would always just ply him with questions and talk about salvation and how they could grow. And, and one of the monks never said anything at all. And uh, one, after a few months, few times they had come and gone, the father said to him, son, you, you come every time, but you never say anything. And the monk looked at the father and he said, it is just enough to see you. And I think sometimes that's how it is with God. Sometimes it's just enough to see him, just to be in his presence. We don't need to ask a bunch of questions or anything else. We just need to be with him. So home is a place where we are known. In all our wonder, in all our mess, and still we're welcomed and we're loved. 
Jan Karen, one of my favorite authors who wrote the Mitford series, entitled one of her later books, Somewhere Safe with Someone Good. And I thought that's a definition of prayer. Somewhere safe with somebody good. Prayer is so much more than just asking for things. But it is asking for things. And we don't want to diminish that aspect as we walk through this series this summer. So tying two things together, this idea, again, of the home language and asking for things, Jesus, in one of my favorite passages on prayer, says this in Matthew 7. He says, you parents, and I I think he's kind of laughing as he says this. If your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? We have that kind of a God. God knows how to be good to his children. And there's that language again, the language of home. Thinking about God's emotions, I think that God would be sad if his children never asked for anything. I'd be heartbroken if my sons were in need and we found out later that they never even talked to their dad or me about ways that we could perhaps help them and come alongside. Flip that over, I would also be super sad and disappointed if the only time we heard from our sons was when they needed something, right? That's transactional. That's not a relationship. That's, hey, you can see me, you can hear from me if you're going to give me what I need and what I want. Okay, so if we grow this summer in understanding that prayer is coming home to a welcoming God, how do we practice that? What does that look like? In prep for this message in this series, I was rereading Ruth Haley Barton's book, Sacred Rhythms. And in her chapter on prayer, she has a section on breath prayer, which we've talked about here before. And she's encouraging the reader that, to, that we should all try to find one that is unique to us. Find your own breath prayer. Uh, Pastor John talked about one a couple of weeks ago, and he walked us through how he just prays, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And Ruth says, you don't think your way to your breath prayer. You discover it by, by listening to your deepest longing and desires in God's presence. I thought, oh, that sounds so good. But even though I thought, oh, that sounds so good, I thought, oh, brother, I'm never good at these exercises. I have this friend who every uh, December, she starts praying for what her word of the year is going to be for the coming year. Maybe you guys do that. Maybe you have, and she'll get a word from the Lord, and she will wring it dry all year long. It's beautiful. Me, nada. I never get a word of the year. Half the time she just gives me my word because she gives up trying, (laughs) thinking I'm ever going to hear. So she says, I think this is the word the Lord's giving you this year. So I was a little bit skeptical when I'm reading, okay, I'm going to find my breath prayer. God loves to surprise us, doesn't he? And by the end of that day, after I had read that chapter, it just came. I just received 
this breath prayer. Don't freak out if you don't get one, okay? I'm not gonna put that on you. But that was my experience. And as I was in prayer and I, I discovered what my breath prayer was, it has enriched my experience. It's very simple, uh, as all breath prayers need to be, and it's simply, Lord Jesus, I welcome you. Lord Jesus, I welcome you. I prayed that and I just felt quieted. I felt peace just come over me. Whereas, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me is more repentance and lament oriented. That's not, this, that's not the kind of conversation I want to have every time I meet with Jesus, right? So I just have begun to pray. And believe me, I will use that prayer many, many times. But, but this one that I feel like I've been given is just allows me to sit with Jesus. I mean, if a friend came over to your house and every time they came over, all they ever talked about was lament and repentance, you'd think that was a little weird eventually, right? <laughs> so same with Jesus. We don't have to talk about the same thing every time. It's, Lord Jesus, I welcome you. And as I began to welcome Jesus, everything that he brings with him started to become apparent. And I would sit with that because as I welcome Jesus, I welcome his peace. And I welcome his wisdom. I welcome his healing. I welcome his correction. And sometimes that's all I do. I just sit with the prayer to welcome Jesus. Other times, many of your names and faces will rise to the surface. And then I bring you there. And I will tell you, it's been interesting as I've practiced this, I find that it really works well when I know that I'm praying for someone who would absolutely love to welcome Christ's presence into their situation. So I may pray something uh, such as, Lord Jesus, I welcome you into Jim's body or Jeff's body to bring healing. Come with your healing. Lord Jesus, I welcome you into Jess's family as they make medical decisions. Lord Jesus, I welcome you into Sarah's mind and heart as she prepares for a meeting. And I attempt to sit with that image and that person as I pray to Jesus and welcome him in to those places. Ruth Haley Barton says, simply put, Prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. For the fundamental purpose of prayer is to deepen our intimacy with God. In other words, prayer is coming home. Prayer is sitting at the table with Jesus. Prayer is extending home and welcome back to Jesus. It is circular in its relationship so I'm going to invite you this uh, series while we're walking this through to practice two things. One's a head practice and one's a heart practice. So the, for those of you who love to study and you love to dig in, I invite you to grab your best study Bible or open up some of your best online tools and begin to study all the scriptures that use such words for the divine trinity as home, dwelling place, Strong tower, 
shelter. And those words are going to take you, as you study, they're going to take you to the other words and other concepts that remind us that God is, as Moses prayed, our home from generation to generation, our dwelling place from the beginning of time. Then I'm going to invite you right now and to practice this in the coming weeks, this breath prayer that I've introduced. So if you're brave enough, I invite you to practice it with me by putting your hands out. We're going to practice the breath prayer. Lord Jesus, and breathe in. I welcome you and breathe out. So I'll invite you to say it. Lord Jesus, I welcome you. Lord Jesus, I welcome you. I'm going to give you just a moment on your own to speak that to Jesus as we wait for a few moments. I hope that will be an enriching experience for you this summer as you begin to practice that particular breath prayer. I encourage you to tell someone, tell a spouse, a child, email me or call me and say, this is what's going on inside of me in the area of prayer as I practice sitting with Jesus. Well, a message on prayer as coming home would not be complete, especially on Father's Day. Without a little look, I'm going to do it short, but we need to look at the prodigal son story because nothing uh, describes coming home as beautifully as that story does in, um, in the Gospels. So I'm going to close with this story. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, I think John and Mike have both mentioned him too. He was, wrote great books and impacted so many of us in the church. He uh, retitled that parable. And he, he uh, changed the title from the prodigal son to the prodigal God. And the reason is because the word prodigal actually means recklessly generous. So that's something recklessly generous. Can you believe, here I am writing this sermon, and this Friday night on Jeopardy, this was a question. And it was kind of odd, you know, Jeopardy's awesome that they use uh, Bible uh, references often, and I enjoy that. But this one was just a little, nobody got it. And the question was, or the statement, however that goes, uh, said in Luke 15, what word means recklessly generous? <laughs> My jaw just dropped to the ground. And no, but none of the contestants got it. But I got it. Thank you, Tim Keller. <laughs> recklessly generous. So, um, Last week when we were singing in worship, we sang that song that so many of us love uh, called The Reckless Love of God. And, and I started thinking, I started dissecting it. I didn't, you know, I thought, is this good theology? What, is God ever really reckless? And then I remembered Tim Keller's book and that he took that very word and took it off the son and hung it on the neck of the father, recklessly generous. Then I could worship. Many of you know this story, that the father gave his son his inheritance 
because the son disrespectfully asked for his inheritance before the father was gone. And he took off and he took that money and he went to a foreign land and he hedonistically squandered every last shilling of that inheritance. And while he was off doing that, the father every day kept an eye on the road, kept an eye looking for that son. And eventually after the money had run out and there was a famine in the land and he was starving to death, he, the son thought, I'm headed home. This is crazy. The servants eat better. The pigs eat better on my father's ranch than I am. And so he's headed home and he's rehearsing that speech all the way. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I don't deserve to be your son, but just take me back as a servant. And we know that the father sees from a distance that son, and it's not the son who starts running, it's the father picks up his robe and runs to meet his son. And before the son can even get out the confession, he's throwing on the prized robe and the signet ring and starting the biggest celebration the ranch has ever had. Prayer is being welcomed home like that. And it is by grace, by grace that we're welcomed back, not as servants, but as restored sons and daughters of our Father. Generously reckless. 